Welcome to the Cap City Outfitters Podcast. This is episode 138. You've got Chris and Brian, and this time around we are going to talk about sighting systems for firearms. Yeah, guys, this is these are this is directly uh, pushed from conversations with customers in the store. Um, both, both some new guys that have had some interesting insight into things as professional end users, um, and some folks who train a lot and spend a lot of time on the range. Um, and, and, you know, kind of, kind of just working our way back through things that maybe we've rethought or confirmed, um, and some of the changes that, you know, we're seeing in the industry right now with some of the newer products that have come out in the last couple of years as well. Um, it, I'm going to, if we can, can we start with rifle sighting sure. systems, rifle yeah. reticles? Um, and, and a little bit of this too is going to be, Hey, you know, stuff that I'm not going to tell you not to do it, but I'm going to tell you to, I'm going to ask you and challenge you to the why you're going to make some of the choices you're making. Um, sighting systems on, especially on AR style rifles, um, have been pretty common, pretty down pat for quite a while. You know, the, the, the aperture sighting system on military guns, um, basically the, the gist of having a rear aperture sight and a front post is that you're. The, eye, the rear aperture, your eye really can't focus on it. And if you focus on the front post, your brain almost automatically centers the tip of the front post in the middle of the aperture. Um, it might take a little bit of fine-tuning on your part, you know, maybe to hit that 300 or 500-yard target on the KD range. Um, but the reality check is your brain does a lot of that for you, and that's why that system has been chosen uh, for, for a lot of fighting guns and as well for a lot of match guns and stuff like that too. Um, we're seeing some, you know, there's been some stuff out there off and on for years that are kind of steps off the beaten path and goes with things like diamond type patterns or things with demarcations on the sides of the rear sights and things like that. Um, as well as tritium on the sides of the rear sights and stuff like that. Uh, on a rifle, your eye is so close to the rear sight. If you're running nose to charge or nose to charging handle on an AR system, um, you, you really can't see tritium. It's probably more of a distraction than anything else if you can see it at all. Um, running the diamond head type sights and stuff like that means you're spending a lot more time looking at the rear sight than you probably should be. Um, and I'm not saying don't do them. If it's something that works for you, if it's something that your brain can resolve that quickly and make it work, that's fine. Um, but in general, finding the front post in the middle of the blurry rear ring, uh, often referred to as a ghost ring, is going to be the probably the fastest, bestest way to do this unless someone's come up with something else I'm not aware of. Yeah, especially for yeah. defensive or combat type applications. Yeah. You know, if, if you're doing things that can't parry where you got all the time in the world to look at your sights, yeah. uh, disregard what we're talking about. Yeah, and, but even then, that's that's generally, I mean, if you're shooting service rifle, you're kind of running those yeah. sights or magnified optics now because you're allowed to. Um, <clears throat> you know, but I mean, in general, it's still, we're seeing uh, the prevalence is still peep sight or ghost ring style sights. So, you know, rock and roll. Um, th they work on a rifle, so I would say that's kind of a leave well enough alone. And if somebody knows of a better mousetrap, by all means, I'd love to have that conversation. Um, still not against great big chunky front sights on fighting guns as long as the application for that gun is up close, but understand that when you get out of distance, it's, it's difficult. Um, I, I used to really like excess big dot sights on pistols, uh, which is something we'll come back around to in a minute. Uh, but the reality check is that on rifles, that big dot front sight was brilliant if all you were doing was kicking in doors and your longest shot was, you know, maybe 50 feet and in. Um, but it was really clunky at distance and, and a little bit difficult to use at distance. But again, what are we using it for? If we're talking about a fighting gun, it was perfectly applicable for most civilian or law enforcement applications. Maybe for military use, a little bit different beast, maybe a little bit coarse for that at some kind of distance. Yeah, the other thing to consider any type of rifle sighting system for an AR where you're you're using a tritium or some kind of funky dot yeah. on the front post, um, you're only able to zero that once every four clicks. Yeah, and some of them, um, the tritium shines through. It comes in both sides. 
Um, so maybe it's once every two clicks, but now it's also visible on the muzzle end of the gun to the bad guy, uh, which might give them something to aim at in, a, in certain situations. Um, you know, so yeah, be aware of that for sure. And again, generally your front sight will be grotesquely large to house tritium uh, and possibly even fiber optics for a rifle. Yeah. So just, just be aware of that. Um, the, the reticle conversation, as much as sighting systems, was probably where this conversation started, was what reticle. Um, on, on the dot systems, on the reflex-type optics and stuff like that, one or two MOA dots are just fine. Um, I don't think a four MOA dot's unreasonable. If we talk about what MOA means, minute of angle um, is a subtension measurement. It's an angular measurement that basically a minute is, uh, is 1 60th of a degree, and a degree is 1 360th of a circle. So if you take that little divisor, it becomes a very, very small piece of real estate at 100 yards, about an inch, give or take. It's technically like 1.04 something, blah, 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 blah. But it's kind of like knots versus miles per hour. It's the same thing until you're talking hundreds of them. Um, so, you know, the reality check there is, you know, a, a 2 MOA dot, you know, sub 10, 6 inches at 300 yards, uh, 4 MOA dot, um, sub 10, 12 inches at 300 yards. Um, 12 inches is still not much bigger than the average humanoid's melon walking around. Um, so you're at that point, probably the drop in trajectory is way more of a conversation than the size of the actual device, the dot, whatever. Um, do you want to put a 12 MOA dot on a PRS rifle and try and shoot, you know, quarter MOA targets? Nope, definitely not. But the application is where it comes in there. And that's kind of back to that reticle. Are you choosing the right reticle for the application? Um, Stepping over into some of the magnified optics, whether we're talking about a low power variable or something that's a fixed prismatic type optic like an ACOG, um, you know, you guys all know that we're, we're really pushing into the LPVOs. The low power is kind of kind of seems like the way to go right now. The durability is there. The functionality is there. The reticles are there. The um, flexibility and yeah. missions there. Yep, the flexibility to do lots of stuff with the optic and with the gun uh, definitely change with that. Uh, one of the things to be aware of with LPVOs is what is your reticle doing as you run through the magnification range? Um, you know, if you're running a, a first focal plane reticle, then you're going to have a reticle that is going to subtend the same measurements no matter what power that it's on. Um, you know, so if it's a XMOA dot, it's going to be an XMOA dot at one power, and it's going to be an XMOA dot at eight power or six power, um, you know, which is advantageous in some cases and has some drawbacks in some other places, but in general is a good thing. Um, the one place where it can get messy is if you have a coarse reticle, it will be a coarser reticle when you magnify it um, versus some of the second. And that, that is probably about the only argument I'm aware of for a second focal plane um, LPVO is that you might end up with a finer reticle at magnification. Yeah. But yep. you also may end up with one you can, it's tough to see at no magnification. Right. So, you know, it's kind of weighing those things out. So, I mean, I, I'm a big fan of the of the of the front focal plane. I I'm, I, I haven't found too, a good reason to not do it with the right scope, with the right reticle, and especially considering my application is not trying to put bullets in the same hole at 200 yards. It's generally trying to hit you know center of mass out through three to 500. Yeah, I've been running first focal plane for almost a decade now. Yeah. Uh, I don't see a reason to use a second focal plane scope. Yeah. Well, like I said, the, the, the only other argument I've heard, and I don't have any experience with it because I've never run a second focal plane in a variable power where it mattered, where the yeah. reticle size mattered, something that you would actually be either ranging with or that the size of the, mat the, size of the reticle at, at some distance became untenable. Um, and like I said, the only argument would be if you're running one of the big circle dot reticles on a, on a second plane, um, up close, it's still a big reticle. 
and at, but at it's distance good. it can still be fine. Yeah, it just up, gets weird. Up close, in my there's so much going on that it's yeah. actually distracting. It can be. I agree um, with that. The beautiful thing with the first focal plane reticles, especially from stuff like Kurjikan with yeah. the Credo, or yeah. from US Optics with the TS one to six or the TS one to eight. Yeah, the J and Gs and the RBR um, reticles and stuff. Yeah, it it honestly it works like an EOTech reticle one X. Yeah, yeah, and all the all the clutter is so small that you don't see it at 1x, um, but you'd still see the reticle just fine. And with some of the newer scopes too, you know, one of our big complaints with the Trigicon when it was the AccuPower um, was that the, the center dot or cross was relatively coarse. Um, and then the new one, that's something they fixed when they switched over to it and made that the, um, the Credo, it's now a significantly finer dot. So when you do dial it up to, to 8x, you can still be pretty precise. Um, is you can, it, you can be plenty precise with the AccuPower too. Exactly. No, tr true enough. Absolutely. It's just a little easier to see. It's not occluding your target or anything like that, uh, because it is an extra reticle. So, um, but yeah, so, you know, looking at, you know, some of this stuff, um, you know, it, the, the reticles on different scopes, there's so much stuff out there. I can, I remember 30 years ago or 20 years ago when the Horus like H59 reticles were coming out and the long range shooters were totally ooey gooey, um, because it was something that was like quick to the second shot. Um, you know, and, and, you, and you had all the meatheads out there who were guys that were hardcore mill dot scope guys. And they were like, first shot, first kill, uh, one shot, one kill, you know, and all. And the reality is, is, is that some people take more than one shot. Even the, the really even, good guys. Even the really good guys could more take than more shot. than one shot. And, and, you know, so, and maybe your one shot was good enough. It was on target, but, but you'd like your second shot to be better because the other guy's now shooting at you, you know, or whatever the case may yeah. be. So, the, you know, there's definitely an argument for, for some of these reticles that allow you to track that shot, see where it went, et cetera, and go from there. Um, it, you know, it, but this is like everything else. We can get wrapped around the axle about what it is you're actually using, but the reality check is you can have a substandard option as a reticle. You can have a substandard option as a scope. You can have a substandard option as a sighting system in general and still make it work because it's the Indian, not the arrow. Um, whatever it is you choose or whatever it is you have, learn how to use it. That's probably the biggest failing we see is somebody who has a superlative piece of equipment, but didn't set their zero stops before they took shots. Yeah. You know, didn't confirm that the scope was in the condition it should be in before they took their shots. Uh, one of the big failings of, of variable power scopes for guys hunting for decades has been the dude who has a, you know, a four to 16 optic and has it set on 16 in the woods and doesn't realize it. And as he's walking to his stand, the buck of a lifetime stands up 25 yards away and all he can see is fur. That's a user error. So, you know, learn, you know, learn how to use your equipment, learn what those subtensions, all those little marks, all those little bitty hash marks all over your scope when you look through it. Um, they weren't designed to make you feel like you were looking through a periscope on U521. Um, they were actually designed to let you range things. They did the same thing on the periscope. Uh, but anyway, just want to let you know, you know, they're, they're there for a reason. Learn what they're for, learn what they mean. And even if that means it's, you know, we know a lot of guys who have drop charts printed on the stock of their gun or drop charts printed on scope caps and stuff like that. Um, I don't care if you do a subtension map, you know, do your subtension chart or your subtension map on, on your gun somewhere or in your dope book. So at least when you're on the range, you can look and go, okay, what is, what size is that? What is yeah. that telling me at this distance? What does that mean? And learn how to use those things. Um, these are things that PRS guys and long range shooters get, have hammered down. They've got that down pat. And if you have a chance to go shoot with one of those guys, even if it's not your game, go out and shoot with them and talk to them because there's so much information to be gleaned 
from somebody who knows what they're doing or somebody who's either got a little bit of formal training or a ton of experience in competition and on the range doing it. Um, or go take a class. You know, Tom Sarver does long range shooting stuff. We've had a couple of our customers go out to Thunder Valley and do Tom's long range classes um, and, and were, had nothing but good things to say. And these were all guys who started from zero um, and, and walked away in a whole different headset, you know, on that game. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do we want to beat up on scopes and stuff like that for rifles much more than that? Or is that kind of deep enough there? I think that that covers most of the stuff, especially for call it magnified optics. Yeah. Uh, one thing to note, you know, the, the idea of putting optics or sights at 45 degrees is still very much a thing, especially when you're running magnified optics. Yeah. Um, we would generally encourage running that red dot or those irons at 45 and not doing, you know, the RMR on top of the ACOG that Trigicon did for a long time. Yeah. Um, Trigicon did that because it let them sell an ACOG and an RMR to the military as one NSN number. Yeah. Um, it's a horrible system. You end up with like a scruff of your chin weld to use the, the RMR on top of the ACOG. Uh, if you take that same RMR or like a Holosun 507, I mean, you put it 45 degrees, all of a sudden it becomes a really intuitive, yeah, um, really easy sight to acquire. Uh, but moving that that from the top of the ACOG or from the top of the you know, the variable power scope um, over to 45 degrees really makes a difference. Yeah, it makes it just makes it a lot easier to shoot, a lot more consistency, a lot less offset concerns. Curiously enough, that secondary optic is generally intended for up close use. Then when you start putting that five inches above center line of the bore, um, now where did you zero it? You know, because yeah. you're pretty much zeroing it at 100 yards at, at best because you can't zero it any closer. Um, you know, and, and uh, without issues. So the primary reason being, you know, it's still at, at, at 15 feet or going up a stairwell, where are you aiming to hit that cranioocular box where well, you're aiming way above the guy's head? So unless he's wearing a halo and you're aiming for the halo, don't shoot guys with halos. They're the good guys. Um, you know, then you've got problems. So, yeah, interesting concept, but probably a curious application. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, shotguns real quick. Um, sights on shotguns, a bead sight on the front of your shotgun, your tactical shotgun is not the end of the world if you know how to use it. If you know where to put the bead, you put the bead in the middle of the bad guy, press a shot. If you pattern your gun, understand where it shoots off that bead. Um, if it doesn't shoot to the bead, if, you're, if your defensive load doesn't shoot to the bead, find a different one and try it. If not, take it to a gunsmith, have a gunsmith put a different sight, sighting system on the gun or move it or do whatever they have to do. Um, they can epoxy larger sights over the bead and fudge windage one way or the other. Um, on shotguns, there's some cheats for that, especially if you have a Remington manufactured in the last 10 years. Um, a lot of the Remington sights were off by just a skosh. Some were off by a buttload. Um, there, there are corrective things for that. Or you could have a set of rifle sights put on a shotgun. Um, rifle sights on a shotgun are still not a bad thing if it's a tactical shotgun. Um, some of the, the double-op buckloads, like the Federal Flight Control, shoot damn near like a rifle anyway. Um, so, you know, having a, a sighting system that lets you, you know, really bear down on what you, where you want to put that slug, um, with the right buckshot load, will let you bear down on where you want to put that buckshot load too. Um, as far as slowing you down, I, I, I do think that lining up a front sight and a rear sight, um, is, is probably a little slower than just putting the bead on the bad guy and pressing the shot off. But the reality check is if you're taking a precise shot with the bead, you're referencing the bead to somewhere else on the rear of the gun. So whatever you're choosing to use as that reference point is still a rear sight. And now it's not quite as defined, so it might actually be slower for that precise shot. Yeah, I think the 
the ghost ring sites are going to be faster when you're at yep. distance. Yes. Um, having, you know, done yep. shotgun nights out of the range and have yep. poppers at 50 yards. Yes. You had to hit with a slug, you know, having that, getting that bead aligned correctly, yep. um, especially trying to find elevation and things takes some time, but it, it is devastatingly fast up close. Yep. And, and the other thing too, if you're issued a gun that only has a bead on it um, professionally, or that's what you have for home defense and that's all that fits in your budget, um, then, then go buy some ammo and go learn where it shoots. Go learn what to reference on the back of the gun. And, and you can do something, you know, totally rednecky, like take a straight edge and scribe a line down the top of that receiver and paint a white line on top of that receiver or do some manner of reference point on the back end of the gun. Um, I, I've, I've seen some guys here recently actually take old Glock sights and epoxy them. Not a bad idea. Yeah, it's a little coarse. And again, it's a little, hold my beer and watch this. Um, but if it works for you, it works for you. Um, you know, whatever, but it does give you a reference. And most of those guys that, that have done that, I, I, the, the one I saw like that was a gentleman who was a little bit older, and he was solving the problem with what he had. Um, you know, bear in mind, it's still a Glock sight, so don't bump into anything or it'll fall off your shotgun, probably just as fast as it'll fall off your Glock. So um, dots and stuff like that on shotgun, same conversation. Um, the, the, the advantage of some of the newer reticles that have a circle and a dot um, may, may become a bigger, may become really advantageous with shot patterns at certain distances. If you know, um, what that is and you take your gun out and pattern it, you may find out that a 32 MO ring on MOA ring on a hollow sun is about 16 inches at 50 yards is about eight inches at 25 yards. And with some of the double out buck patterns out there, that may actually be your pattern. So you may be able to say, Hey, I know everything I send down range is going to be inside that circle. If I'm using federal flight control. Um, test that with your gun, make sure your gun doesn't create flyers through the choke that's on it or something like that. Um, but that may be advantageous to you to have that yeah. reticle in some fashion like that versus just a dot. Um, the other thing may be some of the competitive pistol dots out there are larger. They're 6 MOA, 12 MOA, because they're made to shoot steel plates that are no smaller than like 12 inches and no further than 35 yards. Some of those may match up with your patterns well and give you some kind of a reference physically to where that shot pattern is going to go just understand that you've got to be able to judge those distances because when you get out past about 35 40 yards that all goes to hell so because you're still shooting round pellets but yeah. you know the optics you know dot optics uh, reflex optics on shotguns still work brilliantly um uh, again ghost ring sights still work i think are probably the best option um and then beyond that a low power variable on a shotgun might seem a little bit weird but there's a lot of deer dead on the ground because of them in ohio um, probably in New York as well, um, you know, so I wouldn't be scared of that either. I, the only thing you need to get into there is what's the comb, what's the drop look like on the stock because you're putting an optic system quite a bit above center yeah. line of where your cheek's normally going to be. So just be aware of that as you set it up. Do the Magpul stock, put the put the spacers on the Magpul stock and get it up where it's supposed to be for the SGA. Yeah. So um, enough on shotguns? Too much on shotguns. Probably too much on shotguns. <laughs> Probably too much. What's something about taking tools back to Harbor Freight? Anyway, um, so going into handguns, guys, sights on handguns, um, you know, it's a general rule of thumb. We tend to run uh, the Ameriglow Spartan Operators uh, or the or the Trigicons. Uh, we got a couple of guys running UCs because they like blacked out rears or they like the U-notch or both. Um, the UC is a very affordable site that does a lot for you. The Operator is a very affordable site that does anything you'd want it to do. Um, and get, those sites all give you a really bright orange front sight with a tritium insert so you can see orange it at night. Ring of death. The orange ring of death, the orange donut of death. Um, and then on the back end there, uh, even for the price, they still serrate the rear sights. So you're, they're non-glare rear sights. 
Um, it, you know, it's a very solid sighting system. It's going to do everything you need it to do. Um, I run the Trigicon HD XRs. Probably the biggest distinction between the HD um, and the and the Meriglos is that they're a taller sight. Um, and then also with the XR, it's a narrower front sight. And with my old eyes, it gives me more daylight on either side of the front post to see um, at full extension. Um, and that and that's a little bit faster. It's not quite as precise, and I'm willing to trade that. Um, I can I can resolve precision, but chasing fast matters. And so that's part of the conversation there. Um, on on handgun sights. Having said that, um, if you're you know if your department says you're going to run three dots with white surrounds, great, run three dots with white surrounds. Um, some of the fiber optic sights that are out there, I really dig. I used to be kind of anti fiber optics um, for, because of how fragile they were. Yeah. Uh, so a fiber optic sights have gotten better. Um, they're the design of the actual sight that holds the fiber optic tube um, generally has gotten a little more protective. And then, and then B, I've kind of was shown the light by somebody who said, well, worst case, if that fiber optic gets broken and falls out, I still have iron sights. So it's not really the end of the world. Um, and there's a lot of things fiber optics do really well, like adjust to the ambient environment. If there's a ton of light, um, then generally they're pretty bright. If there's not a lot of light, they're still generally a little brighter than your surroundings. So they work pretty well for that too. And then they make some fiber optics that are also combined with tritium. Those tend to get a little bit clunky. Um, they tend to be a little bit large, a little bit, and, and again, for a defensive handgun up close, not, not necessarily the end of the world, not necessarily even a bad thing. Um, there's, I, I'll say it, everybody can come in and smack me. There's some aesthetic issues that just looks like someone crapped a big old pile of sight on the front of your gun. Um, and it doesn't really do much for me that the orange dot of death doesn't do. Yeah. So I, I really haven't gotten into those. Um, if you like them and you run them with effect, cool. If you like them and you still can't hit anything, fix yourself. Um, and it may not be the sights. So good luck. Yeah, I was gonna say going a long time ago. I ran the, I think they were Novaks, mm -hmm. um, you know, all all black front and rear. Yeah, and they were great in the daytime. But as yep. soon as you get into dusk or low light, or call it that, like parking lot with overhead light type lighting. Yeah, um, the ability to find the front on a darker target goes away, and that's where the the orange ring of death really becomes important. And that's that's also one of those conversations that that goes through multiple weapon systems, shotguns with ghost rings and then, and then rifles as well. Um, if you're the guy saying, well, when I was in the army, I just ran my iron sights. I don't need no optic. Yeah, that's cool. Um, and running your carry handle a one style AR on patrol is great. As long as you only work daytime in lit environments and every crack house you go into or dilapidated old warehouse you go, you go into still has functional good lighting, then great. Have at it. Um, but the reality check is the reason why the military issues an optic on damn near every gun they issue now. Um, it's because you often fight in the dark and you can't see iron sights in the dark. Um, you know, so insert XYZ tough guy statement about how in the core we did it without optics. Um, but your beloved core now issues an optic with every rifle. There's a reason. So catch up. Yeah, cool. Um, handgun iron sights, like I said, I don't get real wrapped around the axle about what you run as long as they're durable. Um, I'm even not like horribly anti-Glock stock sights for a home defense gun, but understand that if you train with them any amount at all, if you practice any kind of uh, malfunction remediation at all, um, if you beat on the gun at all, uh, or heaven forbid you actually carry the gun, um, that you're going to find yourself at some point without either a front or a rear sight. It's going to come off the gun. Hopefully it won't be when you need it. So that's why we kind of yeah. push pretty hard to say, as much as I love my Glocks, 
I'm glad Glock doesn't put good sights on their guns. I say this over and over again because I'm going to throw them away anyway to put on what I want. Um, same thing as Daniel Defense. Their base model guns come with base model triggers. I'm glad of that because I'm going to put what I want in it, and I'd rather not pay an extra 100 or $200 for a trigger that I'm going to change out anyway. So that's where I'm at with that. Yep. yep. Um, going to optics on handguns, um, this, it, it, the, wave is, the wave is not coming. The wave is here. Um, you may not realize it, but you're probably under the crest, and it's about to crash on top of you. Um, if you're young and have great eyes and you can shoot fast, cool, um, don't, don't put an optic on your gun. Um, it, it, it still will help you shoot in a lot of conditions that, that irons won't, but whatever, that's fine. Um, if, if you are aging or do not have good eyesight or you've hit that magic 40 something number as most males there, your near eyesight starts to get a little bit fuddy. Um, the, the optics are optics on guns have become a wonderful thing. Um, well, I want to talk about mounting real quick before we get into the yeah. optics. Um, you have the option on modern handguns nowadays. Most modern handguns have some type of a system. Um, Glock calls it the modular optics system, the MOS system that has a, a cut in the gun. It's machined to accept a plate that then holds the optic. And then there are different plates depending on the optic you choose. Um, companies like, I don't know, Springfield Armory has their, I think it's an OSP or something like that. Um, Sig Sauer does their cuts on their guns. and, oh, and the RX. Yeah, the RX cut. Um, and, and SIG got that kind of right, because like on the 320 guns, it takes the Leupold optics, which I'm not a fan of from a durability perspective, but on their small guns, um, the hollow suns bolt right up to it. Uh, so they got that part right. Um, it, having that system kind of future-proofs you to some extent if you would choose, if there comes to like to be some kind of holographic um, heads-up display system that ends up on guns 10 years from now, Maybe it'll bolt or retro right onto your gun with a, with a modular optic system. Um, for now, I'm, I, I'm running guns that have slide cuts for a specific optic. Um, that would be generally for the Trigon optics, like for the RMR. Uh, running the slide cut, I feel like, gives me a little more security in, in how well things are mounted, how tight things are mounted, how little opportunity there is for, there is for things to come loose, and it's one less set of screws. Because with the mounting systems, in some cases, you're mounting a plate to the gun and then an optic to the plate. That's twice the amount of screws yeah. to come loose. So with something that's milled, it's generally going to fit the optic better, and then it's going to drop straight onto the gun and just have two screws to hold it in. That's less PMing, and it's something you can actually PM because the other screws you have to you PM them by taking the optic off, which means re-zeroing. So I like the milled system better for now. Now that's not to say that somebody might not come up with a better mousetrap or whatever. The thing is, is it kind of screws you for the future because you get it milled for whatever system you're using and you're stuck with it. Um, I'm fortunate right now that the two optics that I'm really interested in for handguns are Holosun-based optics and then Trigicon-based optics, and Holosun chose to copy Trigicon's footprint. Yay! Uh, that's a wonderful thing. Um, so just be aware of that as you're looking into some of these systems, look at what's out there, look at what they do for you. Some aftermarket add-ons would be the third tier of that, where you put some kind of plate and a dovetail. Be cautious of those because you're putting a big lever in a small dovetail. The dovetail was not meant to hold a two-inch long lever. Um, so depending on how you run the gun or what you're doing with it or how much abuse it gets or whatever, there could be issues with, with futzing up a dovetail by having that big device on there. Um, some of those also create a little more offset uh, between the center line of the bore and the dot. I don't know if that's a real big deal on a pistol or not until it becomes grotesque. The reality is competition shooters run big over-the-top mounts on guns. Yeah and shoot with more than enough accuracy out through reasonable distances. Um, so, again, I don't know that that, that 
being way overboard is a real big deal on a handgun. It's, it's a training issue. Yeah. It's a, something to know at your different yard lines where exactly. the rounds are going to hit. Which, quite honestly, if you're serious about shooting, you need to know where your gun hits at different yard lines with, with iron sights, and they're as low to the gun as you're going to get. So, yeah. Yeah, same, so same, same. Yeah. Train, learn, learn, learn how to use your stuff. Um, optics on, on handguns. Um, still seeing some weirdness out there. There's still some, some brands out there that it's almost like they've chosen to either do token attempts to harden their optics. Um, the Leopold Delta Point Pro, they put like a, a small piece of metal around the optic to kind of shore it up, beef it up. I think that was probably the request of the military on the Mark 17, Mark 18 systems. Um, after seeing just mega failures left and right, um, just durability wise. Um, and, and I guess that's a better way than not to fix it. Um, though it's just that the DPPs are still a fairly tall body underneath the dot on the chassis that forced some really tall sights. Um, some of the other brands out there, durability issues. Um, still know a lot of guys that, that tried Vortex and did not have them hold up. A lot of guys that tried the SIG stuff and, and some of the SIG stuff is, is cheaper than others. Be aware that if you're buying the SIG stuff, look into which version you're, you're buying to make sure that it's the hardened version, not the recreational toy version. Um, you know, with the Hollow Sun stuff, um, everything seems to be pretty ruggedized. They seem to be doing their chassis, um, in aluminum or titanium that's way overbuilt. Um, you sacrifice a little bit of window size versus a Leopold Delta Point Pro or versus a Trigicon SRO. Um, you give up some window size to be certain, but you gain a significant amount of ruggedness. Yeah, we're yeah. hearing uh, north of 20,000 rounds for the Hollis on the 507s. Okay. Um, yeah. Here in the latest latest episode of uh, Practical Shooting After Dark, that was part of the conversation. Uh, the Hollis are seem to go you know 20,000 plus rounds, which yeah. right now the way ammo is, unless you're, you know, you got ammo coming from somewhere you're yeah. probably not telling anybody about, that's... Yeah. multiple years worth of use absolutely i mean if you uh, figure we optic. shoot and we shoot a minimum of i mean i'm going to say five thousand rounds a year yeah. at a minimum that's that's four years i i still think an optic on a weapon to some extent is a consumable item um there's going to be something better to come down the pike there's going to be better glass at some point there's going to be something better at some point so i don't you know yes i spend money on optics but i also spend money on optics with it's it's like doing a lease or buying a vehicle it's yeah. only good for so long I want to have that mentality and I want to buy something in the case of a vehicle, something safe and functional in the case of an optic, something functional, it's going to work. So yeah, that's kind of how I view that. Yeah. Yep. Um, even, even the Trigicon, um, RMRs, um, you know, you can beat the snot out of them, but at some point you get four or five years on them. If you train hard enough, um, you're going to have issues. Trigicon will back you up on that generally. Um, yep. you know, but just be aware of that. Yeah. yeah. The, the SRO from a recoil standpoint, um, has proven to be very durable. Yep. Uh, it's still a little, not not quite drop friendly is the RMR. True. Uh, so something to be you know to be aware of you know with either the RMR or with the Hollis on the five hundred sevens, very ruggedized from a carry duty yeah. use perspective. Yeah, both of those are sites that count. That Aaron Cowan at Sage Dynamics does his crazy drop a million times, shoot a million rounds in between each drop all at once kind of deal. Um, and the, I, I want to say that the Hollis on a couple of years ago, the lens cracked, but it maintained zero and kept working the entire yeah. test. Um, and it cracked on the first drop and then continued to work afterward for six or five more drops, whatever, 11 billion rounds, etc. Yeah. So, and, and the Holosun now too, because of the price point and popularity, Holosuns are everywhere. So we're seeing a lot more people beating on them. So it's going from being a data point here or there, where it's like, well, I have one and I haven't had a problem with it. I've shot nearly 200 rounds through it, you know, and it's like, oh, that's cute. 
um, just seeing a lot of guys running them because of the price point, because it's half of what a Trigicon RMR is, um, and essentially does the same thing, and the durability is proving itself out, the battery life is proving itself out, the waterproofness is proving itself out. Uh, still think the Trigicon kind of is going to be the gold standard, it's going to kind of be the benchmark, uh, the RMR specifically, but it's a smaller window. Uh, I would say it's definitely more rugged. The engineering that goes into the design of the RMR to take impact, um, it's pretty smart stuff, uh, as Trigicon always is. You talk about durability versus um, some of the other optics out there, especially running on it. I think Trigicon tests most of their optics on scars. Yeah. So if you put anything on a scar and it survives a couple thousand rounds, it's probably going to be okay on just about anything else you put it on. So, yeah. Uh, 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 one note on the SRO. Um, again, not data, but data points. We've got a couple of local tactical law enforcement officers running SROs on guns now for a couple years on duty, training with them, um, doing stuff on the ground with them, doing classes with them, vehicle-based stuff, really beating on them, and they, they swear by them. They haven't had problems at this point. Um, you know, so I, that, that not, not data, but data points. Yeah. It's, even though the SRO, Trichcon says it's a competition optic, not a working optic, that's cool. If you want that big window and you've got irons on your gun and you you know how to transition to them effectively and seamlessly, um, you know you, you do you boo boo. So because it's a lot bigger window. Yeah. So yeah. So you know, guys, these are again conversations we love to have. We kind of nerd out on some of the minutia on this stuff, um, and and we have and there's new stuff coming out every day that we can't keep up with either. I mean, I hate to admit that, but it's just the truth. And so the, uh, oftentimes I'm learning stuff from my customers who are coming in playing with this stuff, and maybe they've got the newest bestest. And, uh, and we haven't seen it yet uh, because a lot of the manufacturers don't get stuff to the distributor as fast as they get stuff to some of the cool guy places. So, you know, if you've got time with one of these things and you're, you know, something we're saying is contrary to your experience, we'd love to hear it. Um, you know, or if you're saying, hey, there's a new toy out there that you're missing, talk to us about that too. Um, you know, or just what's working for you, even if it's confirming what we're seeing, just having more information about that. Or those are the kind of conversations we want to have with folks that are actually out there training, shooting wearing them every day professionally um love to hear from you so yeah yeah um uh, one last note yep. if you're looking to put an optic on your single stack or single stack ish type gun like a glock 43x uh sig p365 365x or xl um the hollis and the 507k has proven to be a phenomenal little optic yeah yeah and and again like the hollis 507c versus the rmr um, similar size window, maybe even a little bit bigger than the RMR CC. Um, just as functional, cool. just as usable. Um, everything like in the world and price half point. the price. Uh, so you know, again, that's that's a pretty pretty big argument to be looking at the Holosun products. Um, if you are a hardcore has to be made in the USA, then double up, spend the money on the Trigicon. That's cool. Um, but the Holosun is is like I said, it's the it's proving itself. I think pretty well. So yeah. Yep. Cool. Cool. I don't have anything else that, you know, I, I, there's a million things we could cover on this and keep going, but I don't want to bore you to death. But again, love to have these conversations in the shop. If you stop by, let's top op, talk optics and see what you're running and talk about how it's working for you. Yeah, as we get um, new inventory and things in or we come across interesting articles about things like optics, um, that information gets posted to our social media. Uh, we're still kicking around on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, as long as those commie bastards let us stick around, Grr. uh, you can find us to search for Cap City Outfitters on both of those platforms. Uh, on our website, you can find valuable information such as how to do an FFL transfer or how to purchase a suppressor via our storefront over silencershop.com. Um, so check out capcityoutfitters.com. Uh, also on there, you can sign up for our weekly newsletter that comes out on Fridays. 
or send us an email to info at capcityoutfitters.com and we will add you to the newsletter list. And then lastly, please come visit us in the store. We're in Hilliard, Ohio, 4465 Cemetery Road. Uh, we're in front of the Aldi's. We're right next to Lee's Fusion Drill. We're here Tuesday through Saturday, 10 to 5, and we look forward to seeing you soon. Thanks for tuning in, guys.